Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. This is the first of two parts I gave a talk to our local nurse practitioner association, and I move fast in this talk. So do you guys listen to some podcasts at 1.5 speed? I'm thinking on this one, don't listen at 1.5 speed because there's so much information going in. I had like timelines for them because I was sharing the stage, the Zoom stage with some physical therapists. So I edited out the physical therapist stuff and I broke this into two sections because it really nicely goes into the first uh, section, which will be today is the hardware. So it's all about anatomy. And then next week we're going to do the software. So that's desire and orgasm. So the audio is not perfect. It was over Zoom and I was trying to just, you know, be able to make this good enough for you guys. But I think the content is absolutely on fire and it is rapid action. So it's coming at you. I hope you guys really enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hi guys. Thanks for showing up tonight. This is going to be amazing. I, uh, I told Elizabeth today, we walked to work together today. I'm like, I am so excited to talk about this tonight. Um, so I'm going to share screen. So this is going to be um, back and forth. It's going to be me and then a PT, me and then a PT, because we really wanted to keep breaking it up for you guys, because sitting and Zooming is, I'm, 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 you know, Zoom has a limit, right? So we wanted to break it up a lot. So sex and pelvic education for busy modern times. Why me? I know some stuff at this point in my career. I have looked at thousands and thousands and thousands of vulvas um, and got super curious about why pelvic health and sex health was such a mystery um, when a lot has been known for a long time. I've also, at this point in my career, created quite the team. So if I don't know the answer, I know where to go to get it. And that's what I hope you guys can take away from this tonight of like, we are your team in this town. If, if you have questions, we're here to answer for you. Um, I don't, I'm not going to give specific names unless you guys ask, because I don't want to I don't want to prefer anybody, so I didn't want to leave anybody off my list. Um, so that's why I'm not going to give you a specific list of, of people tonight, but Bellingham is so blessed. The sex therapist, when I finally met him, I'm like, where have you been? How have I not known you? And they're like, oh yeah, we didn't exist. We just moved to Bellingham. <laughs> like there was nothing before us. So it's so good now that Bellingham is has such a great team to help women with sex needs. My story, I became a urologist, um, love taking care of men and women. They told me I should do a fellowship so I didn't have to deal with women. That's what I was told. Uh, because women are difficult, they take too much time, and there isn't anything we can really do to help them anyways because it's complicated. So that was what I was told. That was uh, 05, 06. So it's not that long ago. I didn't do a fellowship. I moved to Bellingham. I followed my chief resident and uh, Soren Carlson, who's now in Maui, and I'm not going to follow him to Maui. <laughs> And my job now is connecting people with education because every single day in my clinic, women have no idea what their vulva is. They have no idea the role that vaginal estrogen plays in everything I see. Um, and my job is to just start getting, getting people talking about sex. So disclaimer, sex is awkward. Um, I'm going to show pictures of vulvas and talk about sex. So if you guys have little kids around or anybody that you don't want to see that, like warning. <laughs> um, and the other thing about sex that I love to mention before I get started on these talks is when I say something that might challenge what you know, or it might be new, 
Or your brain might tell you something because I was trained that sex was these rules and now she's telling me it's that rules. Pay attention to that brain, right? Because the brain is incredibly important in telling us what we've already known or where our judgments about sex comes from. And that will pop up. And if it doesn't pop up, awesome. But when it pops up and you're like, she's wrong about that or I think it's this, be curious about that voice and who put that there right? Because society puts a lot of rules about sex into our brain. Our parents do, perhaps our education or, or our religion does, and certainly Hollywood does, right? So those voices will talk to you when we start learning new things about sex. So just get really curious about that. And it can be kind of fun. Um, sex is awkward. Vulnerability is the key to connection. At the end of the day, it's about pleasure. It's about pleasure. It's about pleasure. It's about pleasure. Preventing pain. And pleasure. And if you always come back to that rule and helping women with sex, it really kind of helps guide the conversation. This is a pleasurable thing that our bodies are meant to enjoy. Okay, awesome. So I'm going to talk about the hardware. We're going to go to PT then. They're going to talk about what happens when you guys refer to PT, how they do onboarding, which is really important. They're really special how they do it for pelvic pain um, because there's a lot of apprehension and fear in people when they think about what PT is going to mean. And, and Core Physio does an amazing onboarding for that. Then I'm going to come back and talk about software. Um, so hardware being the pelvis, software being arousal, desire, kind of the, the soft stuff about sex. Then I'm going to just bring back briefly about how to talk to patients about sex and then the team that you need. I was so liberated in my job when I realized I'm actually not a sex therapist and it's not my job to be a sex therapist. I'm a urologist and now I have a sex therapist and I have physical therapists. And I think a lot of people in dealing with with women or the story's too complex or I can't help them in clinic is because we think we need to take on all of that and we really don't. If you have a good team, it's going to make your office visits really a lot uh, easier, perhaps a lot quicker, and it's going to be you're going to connect people to who they need because at the end of the day, not many of us are actually sex therapists. So hardware, this is anatomy. Um, not many people get taught about the vulva. Why do I know that? Because nobody really gets taught about the vulva in medical school. Uh, gynecology, a little bit more than everybody else. But even in talking to the gynecologists who are sexperts, uh, they didn't get taught about the vulva in their residency. So I'm not going to be here assuming any of us know anything, and we'll just start there. The vulva is its own unique organ. It is, uh, and it, it's really important, your physical exam, because a woman will say, down there, or she'll say, my bladder. Or she'll use a term because most women don't won't say my labia, they won't say my vulva, they won't say my urethra, because they've never looked down there and they might not even know the words. So in starting to understand what your patient is complaining about, I get very specific, right? And if they can't get any more specific in conversation, I'll ha I'll say on exam. Can you show me on exam? Uh, I've actually taken to using patients' iPhones when I'm doing an exam, when I see an abnormality, because if they can't see it and understand it, they won't understand the treatment, right? Like, what am I supposed to be putting estrogen cream on? Or wh why do you think it hurts, you know, when I ride my bike? Um, so the iPhone has been really cool, and then it's on their phone, and they can delete it or do it. It's not on anybody else's phone. But as far as patient education, it's pretty a pretty neat technology that's already sitting in your clinic room. So pictures for that. 
So what you guys will notice on this drawing is the clitoris. If you look at most anatomy drawings, the clitoris is very small. This is actually a nice drawn to size clitoris. Uh, clitorises are universally drawn too small. Uh, accurately on medical exams. Um, I talked to a patient last week who, when she was 18, she was trying to figure out if her vulva were normal. And she went on the internet and went down the rabbit hole of porn sites and ended up getting a labiaplasty because she couldn't find any accurate medical information about what normal labia looked like. Um, so pretty unique story, but we do a very poor job of educating women about their anatomy and they don't know the words to help us. So embryologically, we've got three, all three pieces of the embryo creating the vulva, the vagina, and the, what we call the vestibule. So you have the labia minora, labia majora, that's ectoderm, that's your vulva. Between the labia minora, what we call heart's line, into the hymen, a very unique part of the tissue, which is actually endoderm. Why is this important? It's important, number one, we have to realize these are organs that women have and they can have dysfunction. Number two, endoderm, embryologically very testosterone dependent. This is the penile urethra equivalent. Okay, so when we do with a lot of pain scenarios, pain's very uh, sensitive or responsive to testosterone. So vestibulitis can respond very wonderfully to an estrogen testosterone compounded cream. If you understand the embryology behind it, you're going to understand why the heck you see us, you know, prescribing these things. So and then between the hymen and the cervix, the actual lining of the vagina, that's mesoderm. So all different structures all can have different pathology and not everything down here is the vagina. So the vulva and the vestibule completely ignored. They're distinct organs, um, and they're neglected, neglected, neglected. So all labia are normal. They can protrude outside of the labia majora. This is not because of excess androgens, which you will find on the internet. Um, and women just don't have that understanding. But it's been very normalizing to a lot of women that I see. They'll come in and they'll say, oh, an ex-boyfriend told me I was ugly. An ex-boyfriend, or I don't like the way I look in swimsuits. And I said, well, don't you think it might be the fault of the swimsuit for being too thin than rather the, the fault of your labia? Um, and just really normalizing to women to tell them that they are not broken, they are not built abnormally, and they're completely within the realm of normal. It's also very normal for one labia minora to be a, a different size than the other labia. Completely normal. So I think normal anatomy knowledge goes a long way in telling women that they don't have to fix themselves. There isn't anything broken down there. So Another important structure in the vulva, periurethral glands, also called Skene's glands. This is the equivalent of the prostate in men. You will see, if you go down the rabbit hole of, of female sexual health, you will see it described as the female uh, prostate. This is, no, just for sex education-wise, this is where squirting comes from or female ejaculation. Um, this is incredibly, again, looking at that middle organ that's the equivalent to the penile urethra, very testosterone dependent. The, and I put circles around where the periurethral glands are. If you take a Q-tip and you touch the periurethral glands and the woman says, that makes me have to pee, or ouch, ouch, that hurts, that might be where she thinks she has overactive bladder. She just has hormone-sensitive vulvodynia. Uh, periurethral glands respond wonderfully to estrogen cream and estrogen testosterone cream. So physical exam goes a long way in figuring out what women's actual symptoms are. General urinary symptoms of menopause, it's all over the vulva. You'll, once you start seeing it, 
it's everywhere. It's a, a, a universal problem. So this is a long list, not for you guys to read or memorize, but when somebody comes in with vulvar pain and vulvodynia and they get so relieved because now they have a diagnosis, I have, oh, I know what I have now, it's vulvodynia. That just means pain in the vulva. Saying somebody has vulvodynia doesn't tell you why they have pain in the vulva, right? So I think a lot of women are reassured knowing, oh, I have a diagnosis now. Well, that diagnosis doesn't really tell you why. So there can be specific disorders, skin conditions or neurologic conditions, low hormone conditions that cause vulvodynia. So I'm happy to, sl- to share my slides if you guys actually want to see this, but um, just uh, something to keep in mind. Vulvodynia itself is not too helpful. It's just p- pain in the vulva. So let's talk about the clitoris. The clitoris is so cool because it is the only organ specifically for pleasure in the human body. Now your mind might stop you and your mind might say, wait, wait, the penis. The penis is, a, is also a pleasure organ. No, no, the penis has three jobs. The penis needs to put semen into a female for reproduction. The penis has to urinate. The penis also has to have sexual pleasure. So the penis is not actually designed specifically for pleasure. It has multiple jobs. The clitoris is the only organ in the human body designed specifically for pleasure. And if you think about how did you get educated in sex, right? Usually late uh, elementary school and or Hollywood, right? And it's usually a what we call a fear-based education system or disease prevention or pregnancy prevention uh, education, right? So very, very rarely does anybody actually get educated in the fact that the clitoris is how women achieve orgasm and pleasure. Why is this important? Because women get taught that penis and vagina sex, we call it PIV, penis and vagina sex is the gold standard to which a woman should orgasm. And where does that come from? A lot of it comes from the old Victorian society when we said it was a woman's duty to please her husband, right? And so they actually said any woman with a clitoris, that was a sign of being a witch. So it was very bad to have a clitoris back in the Victorian ages. So clitorises are penises without having to pee through them and without having to reproduce with them. So pared down, they're only for pleasure. It has a foreskin. That foreskin, just like penis foreskins, can have adhesions. It can have phimosis. Very, very rarely you can get priapism of the clitoris, just like the penis does. So varying distances from the vagina, there's no right or wrong on this, but the more vulvar exams you do, the more you'll realize, well, that clitoris is really close to the urethra and vagina, and that clitoris is way up there. Why is that important? Because some women, about 15% of women, can achieve orgasm from penis and vagina sex. And the theory is the closer your clitoris is to the vagina, it's actually getting clitoral stimulation. And that's why those women are having orgasms with penis and vagina sex. And it has something to do with the clitoral length. Just a a fun fact, not medically necessary, because everything's normal. Everything's normal. So clitoris, the clitoris, what we see and what is always drawn as too small is actually the tip of the iceberg runs inside the body. You can see this little cross section of it up in the corner. If you've ever seen a cross section of a penis, this is exactly what a penis looks like, except for there's no urethra running through it. Okay, so you have erection bodies on both sides. You have the dorsal nerve. You have the propucial skin. This is a penis without having to do the other jobs of the penis. And what it does is it breaks into uh, two left and right, the crura and then the bulb. And the bulb, you can see it drawn in a purple and netter, um, which did not get into netter until 2019. 
Netter didn't draw the clitoris accurately either. Um, wraps around the vagina and actually is underneath the labia majora. So a lot of women will find that they have sexual satisfaction or pleasure from stimulation of the labia, um, both the labia minora and the, and the majora, because there's a clitoris under there. So the, and then let's talk about the G-spot since we're talking about sex. There is no actual G-spot. Dr. Graffenberg, who is named after, didn't ever describe a G-spot. They just named it after him. Um, so all the myths about G-spot orgasms and that's the right person, what it's actually done is resulted in a lot of female shame because they think that that's how they should have an orgasm. Um, there's nothing medically special about the anterior vagina, except for the fact there's a clitoris behind there and there is some erectile tissue around the urethra, which can be very pleasurable, but you can't go out and cut out surgically anatomically the G-spot. So just more, more uh, Hollywood myths for everybody. So this is a 3D printed uh, accurate size of the female clitoris, and it is 10 centimeters long in total length. So it is, all, it is pretty much the size of penises. It's just majority of it is protected and on the inside of our body. So the vagina, I won't talk about as much, except for it's rare that you actually have a pain in the vagina. If somebody says my vagina hurts or pain is, it's painful with sex, think about the muscles around the vagina, think about scar tissue at the top from any previous surgery, or think about the vulva, which is what's really affected menopausally. So pain in the vagina, probably not, usually something around the vagina. Vagina, much more prone to infection, yeast infection, BV, uh, after menopause because it loses its acidity, it loses its lactobacillus. Uh, and I spend all day long putting more estrogen into the vagina with postmenopausal women because of their recurrent yeast infections, uh, recurrent BV, recurrent UTIs. So healthy vagina equals healthy pelvis. So here's a picture of a postmenopausal atrophic vulva. And if anybody's still wondering why this woman is getting recurrent UTIs and pain, wonder no further. She has a completely narrowed vulva with tight skin that is white. It is very painful when it is spread. And her labia minora is missing. If you don't have labia minora, you can't protect your urethra anymore. So the urethra is all the more exposed. And the other thing to notice about this urethra is it almost looks like it's puckering. You can see the inside lining of the urethral mucosa. So it's not protected like a normal estrogenized urethra is. This is why the recommendation for recurrent UTIs is vaginal estrogen. Because vaginal estrogen will help the loss. Once your labia minora is gone after menopause because of low estrogen, you can't grow it back. Also important to know for sexual function, the labia minora has many, many, many nerves, and they're the, the pleasure nerves for um, arousal and sexual pleasure, and that goes away when you take away estrogen. So if you lose your labia minora, you can't grow them back, but you can reprotect this urethra and this vagina to decrease dyspareunia, pain, dysuria, and recurrent UTIs. So general urinary symptoms of menopause, it's a mouthful, but once you see it, you will see it every single day in, of your career. Um, two different pictures here, two postmenopausal women, both in their mid-60s. Each of them had vaginal deliveries. The woman in the left image stopped her hormone therapy three years ago and has atrophic vaginitis. You can see it's narrowed. Uh, the woman on the right image, she looks premenopausal. 
She's got healthy tissue. It is, it is uh, healthy. It is less risk for infection. The other thing people don't know is the bladder and the, and the vagina share a wall, right? And the bladder is actually very estrogen sensitive. When you look in a bladder with a camera, you can actually see estrogen changes at the trigone of the bladder. After menopause, when estrogen goes away, women say, it burns when I pee. I have overactive bladder. I've got to pee all the time. It's that loss of estrogen that's affecting the bladder's function and happiness. So all these things I've listed is genital urinary symptoms of menopause. And women will come in and you'll be like, oh my gosh, you have five things. There's like five things that you're struggling with. And you're like, no, 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 you actually have one thing. It's just contributing to your urinary frequency, UTIs, recurrent yeast infection, and pain with sex. Once you see this, you will see it all the time and you can help women so much. So how common is it? Fair enough, how common is it? 50% of women by three years post-menopause really starts to kick in 10 years post-menopause. You'll really start to see it kick in in the mid-50s. But certainly you can see I'm putting vaginal estrogen in women in the perimenopause and early perimenopause because even then about 5% of women are already super sensitive to that estrogen dropping down. Uh, on picture A, on the patient's left-hand side, you see the labia minora seems to stop right at 3 o'clock. 50% of it is gone. Where did it go? It got resorbed because she doesn't have any estrogen. Other things you can get are uh, clitoral adhesions, which you're seeing with the Q-tip. You're seeing a periurethral redness and irritation in C. And then in D, you're seeing a stretched out shiny vagina. It loses its rugae, which it loses its flexibility to be mobile with sexual intercourse. So pain beco- or sex becomes painful because the vagina doesn't want to stretch as much. You can see these, uh, these pictures with long-term birth con- oral birth control use and breastfeeding. So I see a lot of women breastfeeding put them on vaginal estrogen because their pain is, uh, has entered their life with sex. They're dry. Uh, they're more prone to infections. How does birth control affect this? Birth control increases your sex hormone binding globulin in your liver, which binds to your estrogen and testosterone, basically giving you a peri to postmenopausal vulva. You can stop the oral birth control pills, and hopefully your sex hormone binding globulin will return to normal. Sometimes it doesn't. Other things that increase sex hormone binding globulin, coffee, sadly, um, hyperthyroidism. So there's some other conditions that increase it, but the big culprit to hang on to those hormones is oral birth control pills. So medications for the hardware, of course, over-the-counter, there are a bunch of different products for both moisturizers and lube for sex. I say as pure as possible, no flavors, no colors, um, and cheap. There's tons of different brands, so I won't give any specific ones. Estrogen, huge misconception. Topical estrogen does not cause breast cancer, but if you open up the long piece of paper on the prescription, it says it does. Well, now you've just confused your 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 patient and they don't know who to believe, right? So what does the FDA do? The FDA says, I don't care how the hormone is. It's a class, it's a class labeling for hormones, which is why vaginal estrogen has an FDA warning about cancer and all the other things, heart disease and strokes and all that stuff. So the ACOG has been petitioning the FDA for greater than 10 years to take that warning label off of vaginal estrogen. They have yet to do it, um, but it is, uh, it, they're trying to. So I tell all my women, I'm like, it's, it's completely safe. We have long-term safety studies. You will go home and open the package insert, and it'll tell you it's going to cause you cancer. It's wrong. 
This is why it's wrong. Just to make our job even more hard, you have to go against the FDA when when you're giving women vaginal estrogen. But understanding why the FDA, it's a class label on hormones, helps you understand why the heck uh, it says that. Rings, creams, and tabs. I don't like the tabs. Why do you? Why would you put sunscreen in your ear and expect your nose to have any sunscreen on it? That's how I think about tabs. So you put a tab in the top of your vagina and you wonder why your vulva still looks like crap, right? Well, you're putting a bird seed, a piece of bird seed at the top of your vagina and you're expecting your labia to absorb any of it. So anybody on Vagifem, and again, women don't come to me saying, just wanted to let you know my Vagifem's awesome, right? Like if it's working well for you, don't change it. It's women who are coming to me and they're like, I still have pain, I still have dryness, I still have recurrent UTI, I've been on this Vagifem for years. And you'll do an exam and she's completely atrophic, right? So I don't like the tabs because I just see the bad outcomes. Rings are great for your elderly lady who forgets her estrogen cream. You just put it in and you change it in your office every three months. Bonus points, it acts as a little bit of a pessary. So I've been doing more and more creams, especially for my elderly ladies with recurrent UTI that you're like, are you using your vaginal estrogen? And they're like, oh, sure. And you're like, I don't know about that. Your vulva just doesn't look like it is. Just throw a cream in. It's, it's way easier. Or sorry, throw a ring in. It's way easier. Um, how to use spiel. So the applicator for the cream, my go-to is cream. Why? Because I'm a urologist and I care about the urethra and the vulva. And I think the cream truly has to get on the urethra and the vulva, especially at the six o'clock position for pain with sex. So I say throw the applicator away and rub it all over the vulva. Um, It'll last you longer than two. And then uh, estradiol cream is now generic, good RX it. You can get it for 50 bucks at Costco. So it is, and if you use it the my finger way, right, like a large lima bean bean amount, um, that tube will last you like four months. So we're now talking, this is pretty darn cheap. My my rule now is when you turn 50, you get your permission slips for a colonoscopy, a mammogram, and your vaginal estrogen. (laughs) So, and then they're like, well, when can I stop it? Right? And you're like, well, if you don't want your symptoms to come back, never stop it. You don't take blood pressure pill for a week and then you don't have a high blood pressure again, right? This is a progressive disease. It will continue to get worse the longer postmenopause you are. So this is just, ma- this, think of it like your high blood pressure med or all the 10 other meds that all these women are on. It's like, you don't take a week of metformin, right? It's a progressive disease. You need to treat it. And if you don't want to treat it, your symptoms will just come back, right? Um, estrogen and testosterone. So that's not a prescription you can get anywhere that's compounded. I use that specifically for vulvodynia, uh, specific dyspareunia that might be refractory to estrogen. Um, testosterone, and we'll talk about it more with sex. It is off-label for women. But again, that middle part the between the labia and the vagina, very testosterone receptive. It works well for pain. DHEA, you can get it compounded. Again, it's who you trust if you trust your compounded. But there is now a prescription called Intrarosa, which is the generics labeled as Prasterone, which is all it is is DHEA. I don't know how they got away with not actually saying DHEA on the label. A um, little expensive right now, but Medicare is allegedly changing that in a year um, because it's no, it's being mis or declassified. Currently, it's classified as a lifestyle medication, which give me a break. Um, they are you. They're doing studies 
with both testosterone and DHEA in the vagina for UTI prevention. And those studies will be out in the next couple of years. So that's pretty cool. Other thing, the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. There's tons of companies that want to make money off of women thinking your vagina needs to smell a certain way. I don't, I, I don't want soaps on the labia. I don't want anything on the labia. If a woman comes in with recurrent UTIs and she's waxing, I want her to stop waxing. The hair is there to protect the natural oils of the skin and of the labia. And you removing it can do harm. Right. So again, if a woman comes in, she's like, just want to let you know I wax and I have no problems whatsoever. Like, I don't care. Do what you want to do. But if you're having pathology because of it, those are the things that I go through. I'm going to break now. There's my fast spiel. How'd I do? Okay, that was a half an hour. I'll be shorter on the other ones. Can you guys believe that? That was so fast. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I hope you didn't listen to that at 1.5. So stay tuned next week. We're going to talk about the software component. So that's going to be desire and orgasm. And as usual, if you guys are happy with me, please let me know. Give me a review. I love when people reach out to me. It like absolutely makes me realize I should keep doing this. So thank you so much. Have a great day and live your best love life. All the best.